I'm Krati Mehra and this is Beyond the Goals podcast. It's my attempt to help you revel in all that life has to offer without pressing pause on your hustle. We learn how to create healthier relationships, a healthier lifestyle, a career that brings us true joy and a life that satisfies us on every level. Forget the conventional ideas of success and happiness because we're going to live a life of value and create an impact that speaks to our place in the world. So let's get started. Welcome back to Beyond the Goals podcast. This is episode number 68 and you are about to hear my conversation with Jason Gaddis about what a healthy relationship looks like, the kind of conflicts that come up in a relationship, how to resolve them and how to do intentional self-work while in a committed relationship. Jason Garris is a relationship coach, founder of the Relationship School, writer and podcaster who has invested a lot of time and a lot of himself in learning about relationships, conflict resolution, and building yourself up even as you are navigating the oftentimes choppy waters of a relationship. Jason is on a mission to teach people the one class they didn't get in school, how to do romantic relationships, which is why he founded the Relationship School. He gets you the relationship results you want and fast. He can teach you how to use conflict to create a more fulfilling and sustainable relationship. Through virtual relationship empowerment classes taught to students around the globe, Jason teaches you that hidden within any and all relationship pain are the seeds of you getting more empowered in your life and more connected to yourself. And in today's conversation as well, we will talk about all of that and more. You will learn how you can build yourself up even as you give yourself to a relationship. How a relationship and the ups and downs that it brings with it can actually contribute to you becoming a better person. So let's dive right in. So I, I gotta ask because I love uh, your introduction on your website. You call yourself a relationship student and teacher and on Instagram you call yourself your, <laughs> a relationship nerd. So I love that you do that. Because it, it makes sense to me for to anyone who's actually read the whole introduction, they would understand why you do it. But I still want to ask why you do that and what brought you to this, to doing what you're doing? Because you're creating so much knowledge out there. There has to be, it has to be more than professional interest. There has to be something more driving it. Yeah, yeah, there is much more. Um, yeah, I call myself, you know, a nerd, a teacher, a student of relationships because that's just true. It's just what, what I am. Um, that's, I kind of live for this stuff, you know? So, and I'm in student mode all the time. I'm always learning from my teachers and books and my marriage and my kids and, you know, my clients and students. So, yeah, I, I try to teach and share what I'm learning. Yeah. And uh, I appreciate how in a lot of your content, you remind people that when you are in the midst of a conflict, you have to sort of shift the attention from the other person onto yourself. Because sometimes... It is possible, and this is something I think a lot of people struggle with, but you have to recognize that you just might be the problem in that conflict, even if it doesn't appear so to you. And I, I really appreciate that. So when it comes to conflict of that nature, when it, it comes to examining your own stand or your own contribution to that conflict, how do people approach that? Well, if you can't do this, we got to say, if you can't, look in the mirror and take responsibility for your part. It's going to be pretty hard to have any successful relationships. People, if they want a successful family relationship, partnership, parenting situation, um, you got to look in the mirror, period. Uh, otherwise, there's kind of nothing to work with. So um, 
whenever I get into a snag with someone, the first question I usually ask is, what is my part? Yeah, and that helps me get to and get a handle on and work through the thing that I have control over, which is me and my triggers and my feelings and emotions and thoughts. So I can't really do much about the other person, but I can certainly make requests and all that. But yeah, we want to stay where the power is with, with ourselves and our experience. Yeah, I really appreciate that. So you are absolutely right that we need to be able to take responsibility. We need to be able to look at our part and do it objectively and then approach it from a place of power and do the work that needs to be done. But I, I'm sure that you'll agree that not everybody in in the position to do that because sometimes when you're confronted with all of this, this idea sort of where you are the one failing to show up as you should, people feel triggered, they sort of spiral in those circumstances. So keeping that in mind, do you think there is ever, like, do you have to reach a certain place in your life when you're actually ready for commitment? Is there some sort of self-work that needs to be done before you get to that place? Ready for what? What do you mean by commitment? Like committing in a partnership or like a marriage? Committing to a person and nurturing like an ongoing exclusive monogamous relationship where you are expected to deliver certain needs for the other person and that, yeah, you're expecting the same in return. Like that. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think it's that black and white. Um, but for some people, it happens that way where they're like, they've done a lot of personal work on themselves, inner work, psychology work, therapy work, whatever. And then they are like, okay, I'm now I'm ready for a relationship and they find someone and then they commit. That does happen that way. But I think for a lot of us, we meet someone who we get infatuated with, what most people call falling in love, and we, and it feels really good. And so we hopefully we're motivated to try to make it work. But when it gets hard a year or two in, a lot of people kind of want it to be easy again and they don't want to do the work. And so then they start getting, they, they look like they have commitment issues. But I think uh, a lot of us could could grow into a commitment because it's a very big deal given the divorce rates in the U.S., for example. It's a very big deal to make a commitment to someone. And um, people still get married all the time. <laughs> the odds are not very good. Yeah. So it makes sense. People are scared, right? And skeptical. Um, but it's usually not about the other person, although that sure that happens, but it's often about like our, our willingness, our abilities, our capacities. Okay. You know? Yeah. That makes me, I have two questions there. Like, do you think two people, like one person is actively into self-work and they're, they're constantly examining their own behavior. They have a lot of self-awareness can have a relationship with someone else who just doesn't want to go down that path. They're, they're happy to stay on the surface of yeah. things. They don't want to dig too right. deep. Do you think people like that can ever be compatible? Uh, they can be in a relationship, but it's not going to be a very good one because the person who's growing is going to want to change or bring the other person along and the other person is going to feel judged and criticized and then it's going to create conflict. So this is a, sadly a lot of relationships. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think this, another point, like this is something you cover in your content, inner and outer conflict. Can we talk about that? Yeah. So if you and I are in a relationship and I, I am scared to bring up some difficult things with you because I have some issues and I have some problems with how you're being around the house or something you said to me, if I withhold that, if I keep it inside, I'm creating a conflict inside. Now I have two conflicts to deal with. I have the conflict with you and then I got the conflict inside with me because I'm not willing to speak up. A part of me wants to, a part of me doesn't. That's a conflict inside. 
And this gets set up in childhood for most of us because we grew up in families where we don't feel accepted for who we are. So our true self goes underground. We create strategies to get love, approval, connection, and not abandoned and not hurt. And that creates a split, a divide inside, if you will, between our true self and our strategic self. That's also an inner conflict that is usually underground. If most people are living a life where they're kind of unfulfilled, they're probably they probably have a big inner conflict, what they really want to be doing with their life and what they feel like they have to do or right. should do. But this really, uh, like, I think this is something else that people struggle with, that when, obviously, we all bring our own stories to the relationship, we all bring our past to that relationship, whatever other emotional struggles we are carrying. Do you think a relationship is the place where if you have those kind of deep emotional struggles, especially where people have difficult childhoods that they have never really resolved um, do you think a relationship is a place where people can help each other work through those issues? Or do you think that it requires independent self-work or perhaps the the help of a coach or a therapist? Do you think a relationship is ever... Because I always wonder if you carry all of that, like, I don't want to say baggage, but if you carry all of those struggles and those issues that are that heavy into a relationship, instead of the other person fixing fixing you, or again, I don't want to say fixing you, but helping you get to a better place you might just i don't know you might just end up causing harm to the other person it sounds yeah i don't know how else to put it yeah yeah it's an important question because um there's a lot i can say here so sometimes people are the helper in the relationship they feel like a therapist or coach naturally they're just very gifted or naturally drawn towards trying to help someone who's in pain their partner let's say so that doesn't work because it's one way. If it's not mutually coming back to right. me and the other person's not equally, you know, looking after me and my issues and trying to help me out, that's not going to work because it's one way. And then usually that's a relationship where someone feels like the therapist in the relationship or the coach. And that's that's kind of a superior, kind of a I'm better than you, I'm a little self-righteous and you're down here. You need to kind of come along and get your shit together. Um, but the point about your relational blueprint, we're going to bring, no matter what our past is, we're going to bring it into an adult relationship. And most people don't realize this. They, they sort of think, oh, it's in the past. But no, it's in your body, your nervous system, actually now in the present. And it's going to get activated by this person. So it's in our best interest to um, look after our nervous system, look, look after the what I call the scared animal inside of us that gets triggered and stuff, and go to coaching and go to therapy and do trauma work or whatever we need to do. So that we're even an even more awesome available partner. Um, and, you know, my wife and I are both therapists and coaches, essentially. So we help each other out from time to time. Um, but I'm not going to guide my wife through a trauma experience, right? That's not my place. She needs to go do that with someone else and vice versa. I appreciate that you said that because in a, lo a lot of the times in relationships, we try to be all things to the to our partner. And I think that just places this kind of this burden on you that's just makes things unnecessarily hard and takes the attention away from the beautiful things that you do share. I think that, yeah. that's, yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. Well, so I'm curious what it's like in where you live in India. Um, culturally, I, I'm curious how this dynamic, if it's any different than what I'm talking about. I would say, yes, it is different. Uh, I think in India still, um, a, the marriages, when you marry someone, you don't just marry that person, you marry their family as well. So that family also gets to play a very essential role, I think, which is 
Well, I'm someone who took the stand where I decided not to get married, that I just don't want to get married ever. It doesn't. Yeah, because I am very solitary. I need my space. And I just don't see that working out in the kind of dynamic they have in my country where like I live with my parents and it's a healthy dynamic. It's it's wonderful where we give each other a lot of space, but that may not work out all that well if I'm living with my husband's parents. So there is a lot of that happening right. in India still. Kids live with their parents. It's awesome. I think it's a great thing to do. But you need to, like the boundary thing is definitely an issue in India. You need to set better boundaries. You need to be better at communicating things. You shouldn't. Right. Yeah. And I think. And that can be difficult though. If there's a family, if I marry you and your family and I want to set some boundaries, your family might get really upset. Yeah. Families get really upset. They're like, because they think that respect is you being in pain and keeping that shit to yourself. That to them, that is respect. Like if I expect you to show up at 6 a.m. in the morning and come do come say prayers with me, but you are unwell, then you are clearly disrespectful if you fail to show up. Sometimes that's yeah. dynamic. I think it's changing. I think it's getting better where parents are more acting more like friends than anything else. And that's awesome. Love marriages yeah. are also gaining ground. So that's something. My parents have been super cool about my son. So that's something that's definitely changing. Then there's the whole thing about I think sex as well is that dynamic is also changing. Women are sort of initiating conversations where they're making it about them and not so much about the guy calling the shots. So that's something else that's changing. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, it's it's, Progress. it's definitely in flux. I would say in India, these things are very rapidly changing. So I think they they're cool. learning some things from America. They're trying to embrace some of their culture, some of the European mm-hmm. culture, and they're also sort of starting yeah. to learn to appreciate certain things about the Indian culture because some things about the Indian culture are beautiful because if you can make that family dynamic work, there's nothing like it. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah, that's so cool. I love I love hearing that because I'm such a big fan of family. So yeah. nice. Yeah, I, I hope you get to come to India and like share some of your knowledge here as well because <laughs> people can yeah, definitely go there. Which really makes me want to ask you, and this is something that always makes me so curious because there's so many perspectives uh, that we can have on this one question. What to you, to someone who actively spends so much time learning relationships, helping people through their relationships, what does a healthy relationship look like to you? Yeah, um, it's where two people are have a lot of respect for each other and they look after each other, right? Um, and it's mutual. So the metaphor I use in my book is we're out in a boat together in the middle of the ocean and this ocean is called life. We want to both be put effort into making our boat beautiful and good and a seaworthy vessel. And we want to, it's not just me doing that because I'm the man or her doing that because she's the woman. It's both of our responsibility to look after our boats, which essentially you could say how the boat operates. Could You could say, look after each other's nervous system look after each other's um, well-being, mental health and physical health. And we just, you could say take care, take good care of each other, but I don't want people to think it's your job to take care of anybody. It's more like look after, right? Um, that's the language I would probably use. Right. And also like challenge each other. So it's a, it's a relationship where I challenge you and I support you. You challenge me and I, and you support me. And at the end of the day, I feel like four needs are getting met. I feel safe emotionally. I feel seen by you and known by you. I feel soothed by you, meaning after conflict, we work it out every single time, 100% of the time. And then I feel supported and challenged by you. So that, I think that's 
I mean, I'm saying a lot, but that that's the kind of relationship I think most people are after anyway. No, I get that. Because I do see um, some relationship that a lot of people expect validation for the parts of them that nobody else is willing to accept. I uh, see that a lot in romantic relationships where, and there's a reason why nobody else is willing to validate that for you because perhaps that is, those are growth opportunities for you. That's the area that, that's that's what you like you said you you feel challenged and i think that to me that's the best kind of relationship where the other person actively helps you grow but there are a lot of people who are instead looking for validation yeah and it's tricky because um i think all of us want to be validated for our feelings like hey you're feeling sad it makes sense you feel sad to me that's validation so i, I think you're also you're also alluding to if i, if I understand you right most people are looking for kind of approval, external validation slash approval. Yeah. Like what I'm doing my with my life is okay. You think I'm a good person. And if we can't, if we don't feel that about ourselves, it's that's when it's tricky because then if I, I'm kind of like asking you to do something for me that I'm not willing to do for myself. Yeah, I think that's not great. But I have moments of insecurity in life and you have moments of insecurity in life, and it's nice to be just supported through that, right? But hopefully it's a stage and it's not a permanent thing where you're always telling me I'm a good person because I think I hate myself or something. That's not good. Right. But that's that's a difficult conversation to have to talk someone out of that place of insecurity without... What if it, the, the insecurity is sometimes it's warranted because you're not doing the work that needs to be done and, you know, sometimes we have that yeah. inner critic telling us that you are setting your expectations so high, you don't have the experience and you're not even willing to learn. And that inner critic is, is kind of justified in that moment. So how do you talk someone out of that, like out of that place of dark insecurity, but at the same time, let them know that, hey, you know what, while I don't want you to feel like this, there is work to be done. I think that's a that's a difficult balance to. Yeah, I agree. Um, I use I use the language of the victim um, here to explain it to people. Like, and my my version of victimhood and talking about victims is different. I think because I'm saying we're not blaming the victim. We're saying we're all victims, especially when we get hurt or some of us are victims of racism all day long. There's a victim in us in those moments that it just feels bad, right? And of course we want someone to rescue us or help us out. The difference between a victim who is kind of like becomes a victim and stays a victim and someone who is a victim temporarily and then they move away, they move out of it, they get empowered is what you suggested, which is learning. A person who wants to become the author of their life and a more sovereign individual has to overcome their victimhood in moments, right? And then it's a lifelong journey because tomorrow I might get hurt, next year I might get hurt, I'm gonna go right to my victim seat and blame somebody, that's normal. And we're all that way, that's a human thing. But to stay a victim is a problem. And it's definitely a pro gonna be a problem for your partner if you stay a victim. So is there something we can do to help our partner in those moments? Yeah, we can say, look, we can share the impact. One of my favorite tools is um, if you're acting like a victim and you've been in it too long and you're not really helping yourself and you're not learning and stuff, I can share the impact of what it's like to be me when I'm with you. And I can say, man, I'm feeling really alone over here. I'm feeling really frustrated. 
I feel really resentful. I'm starting to feel really resentful um, because I see you, you know, telling the same story year after year. And it's starting to really impact me. I'm starting to get bored. I'm starting to get disinterested. I'm starting to kind of turn my attention elsewhere. And I, I don't want to do that with you. I think we need to do something here. Okay. That's okay. So you can make sure like to, to be understanding, to be compassionate and let them know it's a safe space. But then you should also follow it up with letting them sort of see their behavior more objectively, share your perspective and let them know that, you know, the criticality of the situation. It, well, a little bit. It's more like if I'm, if I'm, let's say, your partner and I'm depressed and I hate my life and I hate myself and you're living with me, that's going to impact you. Yep, yep. You're going to not want to come into the room. You're going to get, you know, initially you might be like, oh, so sorry you feel this way and you might want to try to help me. But after six months or a year or two, you're going to get really frustrated, right, and bored and, like, tired of it. And it's like, what? I'm like, this is awful. Like, this is no life. So I want to share what it's like to be me I, without trying to judge you like you're so pathetic or you're yeah. a loser or you're a victim. I don't say any of that. I say I'm feeling really alone. I feel really frustrated. I feel really disregarded. I feel um, impatient, you know, those kind of things. And it can kind of wake the person up to be like, oh, shit, I don't want to have that kind of impact. on Yeah, you. yeah, I think that helps a lot. Sometimes I think uh, when the emotionally charged moments like that can escalate very quickly and they can lead to sort of uh, saying things to each other that are hard to forget that are hard to get past and they can create fissures in your relationship like breaks in your relationship that seem difficult to mend wherein you feel like I, I could never forget that this person said or did this thing to me this was unbelievable that this came from because I think yeah. you trust that person you love that person so much that it takes you aback when they treat you badly so yeah. when things like that happen and there is that level of emotions involved how do we come back from that moment that that incident and create connection again how do we come back from a moment like a conflict or a challenge and create connection again? Yeah, you've experienced that break. You've experienced that conflict, those emotions. You, they're, they're the emotions of the other person. They're your own emotions to deal with. But you want to make things work. And then how do we repair that break? Well, you're speaking to something that's essential and it's kind of critical to me and what I teach in terms of if we have any kind of rupture or disconnection or conflict, where emotions are charged and high and then we get quiet and we're kind of not talking to each other. That's a conflict. We could just label that conflict. And every single time we have something like this going on, we have to come back around and stay in the conversation an hour later, a day later and get back to a good place. And I call that zero or we just try to talk it through. We maybe go get help if we can't on our own, but together as a team, we've got to be able to get back and repair it as you're saying get back to a good place and if we don't we're going to stay in insecure relationships and we're going to erode the trust of that relationship because the person's going to start to believe gosh if we have hard challenges here they don't get dealt with and i don't therefore i don't trust you i don't trust me i don't trust this relationship and i'm eventually going to want to leave so we've got to commit over and over, and it's a lot of it's about, you know, in terms of the how, it's about good communication tools. It's about listening to the other person until they feel understood, validating their feelings, not defending myself, right? Making sure you really feel understood, empathizing with your position, and then you doing the same for me. 
And then us feeling like, thanks, gosh, okay. And then what are we going to do differently next time? Yeah, that, that really helps. Thank you for sharing that. But you, a lot of people think say this thing that you shouldn't let the sun go down on a fight or you shouldn't go to bed with the fight, you know, still going right. on. Do you think that's that's good advice? Because sometimes I think what you need is time and space. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's good advice. I think it's bullshit because um, a lot of us are tired at night and we're we're so busy these days and we're so maxed out and stressed out to ask someone to stay up past an hour past their bedtime and talk about something that's difficult yeah. sometimes doesn't go very well. It makes it worse. So we need to be able to, you know. Uh, I mean, if you want to try that, it's okay, but you got to know your partner. You got to know yourself and how tired you are. And a lot of us after 9 p.m. at night or 10 o'clock at night are just checked out. Like we can't, we can't focus very well. Right. So I, I don't think that's a great, a great rule of thumb. My, a better rule of thumb is within 24 hours, let's come back and let's repair this. We're not, in other words, we create an agreement in our marriage that we don't go longer than 24 hours without one of us saying, hey, let's, this doesn't feel good. Let's figure this out. Okay. Again, I have two questions here, but can we first talk about, like, you have a lot of experience in this area, so can we talk about the common types of fights that come up in a relationship? Yeah, I say there's five uh, common fights, and um, I can go through them. I'll just name them real quick, and then you can ask me about which one you want to drill down into. Okay, okay. So there's um, surface fights, which are, like, just talking about dishes or you left your clothes out or you didn't pick the kids up on time. And then there's uh, resentment fights, which are usually something that's historical that we haven't brought up. There's uh, projection fights, which is like we project our parents onto our partner, uh, that kind of fight. Another one is we have uh, uh, security fights, which is usually the bedrock of a fight. It's like your attachment dynamics, like one person's avoiding and one person's pursuing. Or those are four. Okay, value differences. That was the other one. Which one do you think is like, I know obviously all of it is critical, but which ones do you think are like the most complicated to deal with and yet need to be dealt with on like sort of a priority? Let's, let's go with that. Which one's most important? It's, it's, it's hard because I work with couples sometimes um, and they have them all because they haven't dealt. They haven't known how. They've been avoiding conflict their whole marriage and they have every single one of them. Turns out they have a value difference. Uh, one of them wants to put the kids in public school. One of them wants to put the kids in private school. That's a value difference. Uh, they also have a resentment because let's say I didn't, you know, one of them didn't speak up five years ago when this thing happened at, at the wedding uh, okay. and they let the other person sort of run the whole wedding and they didn't get a say, they're going to resent the other partner, right? And they've never dealt with that. So that's a resentment. That's, that's really, really common in marriages. Uh, but I think that, again, I think the most important one, if I had to pick one, is probably the security fights. It's like, do both people have two feet in? And if not, if one person has one foot in, one foot out, and is kind of non-committal, like I used to be, um, that creates insecurity in the relationship and in the other person, right? Because it's like, oh, I don't know if I can totally open up and share my heart with you because you might leave. So that's a security fight. And security fights are also deep in our nervous system. And we're coming into a relationship with our relational blueprint, our nervous system blueprint. So right. we might come from a family where people we felt like many people abandoned us. And and then that's going to be an issue whenever you don't text me back on time or you we go days without communication, I might feel abandoned. And that triggers that old wound of mine. So security fights are really important to get a handle on. Okay. But that makes me like the way you describe it, I know I've I have some knowledge around that. So I know what you mean here. 
But to me, that feels like something you would have to sort of work on independently. Again, because it, it feels like one of those. No, you want to work on those together. Okay. Okay. I mean, independently, yeah, I should go see my coach or therapist on some of my, always, off and on for the rest of my life. But what my wife and I have learned uh, over the years together is if I feel like she is withdrawing from me, that creates anxiety in me, right? Yes, of course. I could go deal with my anxiety on my own, but it doesn't deal with the relationship issue. Right. Right. Right? It's letting her off the hook. So we need to work as a team together to help me deal with my anxiety because she, she's part of it. She's, she's partly creating that anxiety in me, right? So she needs to be sensitive to how I feel and what the impact is on me when she withdraws. And vice versa, let's say I get kind of anxious and I, I go toward her, I need to understand that doesn't always work well for her and her nervous system. So I want to be considerate and I want to be thoughtful and I want to be caring. I'm not like saying you got to go deal with that. That's not cool. Um, okay. That's one way to do it. And it's good to, it's good to be able to do both because my wife's not always going to be there for me. Right. Um, so I need to learn how to be with myself, but I find it more effective uh, to work together as a team because it's faster. It's more reparative. It's more efficient in my experience. Okay. Okay. Mostly when there is like this attachment dysfunction, there is a narrative there. So would it be okay for me to say that if there is like you are carrying past trauma, then perhaps you can do both in tandem. You can have a coach and a therapist and work with them to sort of bring those issues to the surface. And then you can go and discuss that with your partner and see how that's impacting your relationship and make space for their feelings in whatever capacity that your trauma or your issues or your attachment side is affecting them. Would that be okay? Yeah, that would be okay. We, we ha I like that. We have to, the thing that we have to remember is a relationship, especially like a marriage or a family is all day, every day. Therapy is coaching is one hour a week. So we're going to get the most traction, what we do outside of the therapy hour or coaching hour. So it's in our best interest to get good at, learning how to deal with this dynamic in our home. Right. That makes sense. But I have to ask, and I think this is, a, again, this is a, mostly because of how I see Indian marriages, how they work. There's always, the woman is always yeah. like, the, she's a nurturer. If people are sitting at the dining table and if my father doesn't have the spoon, he'll be like, he'll ask my mom to go. She's in the middle of a dinner, but she'll get up and she'll get him the spoon. To me, that's, I'm so not okay with that. I'm, I'm constantly like starting arguments in our home <laughs> because of that. And she always says, no. Yeah. yeah. And she always says, this is not important. This is such a non-issue. Uh, you just be graceful about these things. Be gracious. It's okay. Yeah. So those are like, those would be the surface fights, right? Those, that little lack of consideration. But yeah. to me, that feels huge. Well, that feels like this is. Yeah. Because yeah. This, this is a generation thing, right? Like their generation. That was more okay. Your your mom is is totally fine. With of that, course, right? she's like that's yeah. fine. It's not a big deal. But to you, you're like yeah. you're you know different generation, different education. You're like, hey, actually, this is not the kind of relationship I want to be in. Yeah, uh, which is very empowering for you. So it's got to let's say you do partner with someone one day. You want it to feel fair, right? And and mutually respectful. It's not like the man, the woman has to. The woman's down here. The man's up there. The woman has to show the man respect all the time. That was kind of like my grandparents' generation yeah. in the U.S. And that's like just not a thing anymore. It's like we want we want equality 
we want equity, right? Most most of us, and we want fairness in a relationship, a modern relationship. So as long as it feels fair and no one's going to get their feelings hurt, it can be okay. Okay, okay. That would help me not start a fight the next time around this, something like this happens. Because to me, it's like if you can't show me consideration in this very basic way, how can I ever expect bigger things from you? I always see it like that. Like where? Right. Yeah. I think this goes beyond genders. It's it's like again, if we're in a relationship and let's let's pretend we're two women and we're married. Yeah. Um, it's the same thing. It's like, look, I want consideration. You want consideration. I want to consider your feelings. You want to consider my feelings. Like, period. This this is something a lot of people say about me that I, because of the work that I do, I always analyze everything and I always see everything a little too clearly sometimes and sometimes you have to you know live in ignorance about certain things to make your life easier I want to ask you that because you it's like you're studying relationships you're analyzing relationships all the time and I'm sure that benefits your uh, marriage as well but uh, do you ever think that there's such a thing as like doing too much work and not having enough fun Do do you ever think that that happens um I do, but I, I think that's more like I'm a very serious, very intentional, um, psychologically focused guy. So right. people call me too serious. They tell me to lighten up over the years. They tell me to, can we just go have fun and not analyze everything? And I'm like, yeah, we can, but that's not really me. Um, so it's, it's sort of like giving myself permission to just be who I am, which is yep. I love to go down the rabbit hole of everything and anything, especially if it's relationship or nervous system or human beings, human behavior stuff. I love talking about it all day long. So I don't want to change. You know, I, I, I like that part of myself. And, uh, but some people, it doesn't work for them if that's all I want to do. Right. right. And it is good for me to just go ride my mountain bike or go to a party and socialize. That's good for me, Right. Uh, but I don't think there's, for me, there's not such a thing as too much. Um, I mean, my wife and I talk, we'll lay in bed and talk for hours sometimes, or we'll go on a long walk for hours and talk about our kids or talk about human beings. And it's never dull for us, and it's always fascinating and interesting. So it works for who we are. It works for who I am. Thank you for sharing that. Um, can we, uh, I would love to learn a little bit more about how you help people and some of the resources that you would recommend to our listeners so that they can learn more about this subject. Yeah, sure. So I wrote this book called Getting to Zero, How to Work Through Conflict in Your High Stakes Relationships. You can get that kind of everywhere. Books are sold now. Um, and, you know, I, I founded the relationship school because I wanted to, I got tired of complaining that there is no class in high school or college or university. So I created one. Yeah. And we teach people, you know, we have digital products here. We have a free podcast that people can listen to called the Relationship School Podcast. Um, do We train relationship coaches. Even we have students in India and Singapore and Australia. And so we train people from around the world, and it's it's great. Um, you can go to relationshipschool.com or gettingtozerobook.com if you want to take our conflict quiz, if you're curious about your conflict style. Those are a couple places. I'm on Instagram. I'm active there, at Jason Gaddis. Yeah, I would highly recommend that. Uh, I will make sure to share all of these links. Uh, now for my last question. What, if you were only allowed to give people one advice that would help them live better lives, what would that one advice be? I would say in your relationship life, get really good at the conflict repair cycle and you will have whatever kind of relationship you want to have. It's my view that we're going to have conflict in our high stakes relationships 
no matter how hard we try to avoid it, we're going to have it. Right. In families, in business partnerships, in close friendships, and especially in a marriage. Um, so if that's true, then let's get good at working through challenges together. And that's the repair part. It's we're going to have challenges. Let's be realistic about that. And let's get let's actually put our student hat on and actually learn how to get back to a good place because that will build a secure partnership over the long haul. That was the amazing Jason Gaddis. If you want to know more about our guest or you want to explore the resources mentioned during the episode, the links will be in the episode description. If you want to dive into similar content, you can find it on my website, pratimehra.com. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed creating it. I'll be back next week. Until then, please do take care of yourself.